Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six and a half years. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Thanks a million for having a listen to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Ken is taking a well-earned break, but Murph is here. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. And we're talking today about a brand new dawn for Brazilian football, chastened by their disastrous mm. failure in their own World Cup. The Brazilian Football Confederation has gathered up all of its vision all of its leadership qualities, all of its energy and youthful vitality. They've thrown all of that into their search for a new manager and I've come up with... Yes? Dunga! Oh. Ta-da! Wait a minute. This is the same Dunga who was <laughs> the epitome as a player of the sort of player that we've all disliked looking at uh, from a Brazilian point of view over the last couple of World Cups. And wasn't he the manager four years ago when Brazil tried to kick loads of teams out of the World Cup? Some players, Murph, when they become managers... Yeah. I'm thinking of Mick McCarthy here. Played quite an attractive brand of football. They're unrecognisable, their teams, from how they themselves play. Mm. Dunga's teams are very recognisable. In fairness to Dunga, he was a World Cup winning captain. But even as a player, he was seen as somebody who maybe yeah. represented that side of the game. And oh, yeah. yeah, they were pretty brutish in the in the World Cup. Dunga's not confirmed, I should say, but the indications are it's going to be him when the announcement is made tomorrow, Tuesday. Yeah, and I'm, there's some negative connotations for me on a personal level. For Dunga as well, Owen, I, sh- I should let you know, because um, many, many, well, 20 years ago, uh, Brazil were the World Cup champions, uh, and I was bought a Brazil jersey um, uh, by my mother, mm-hmm. and uh, myself, my brother John, my cousin Sean, they're, those the two guys are two years older than me, so I would have looked after them, admired them hugely growing up as a kid, of course, they were you know, like to boss me around and slag me off and stuff like that. That's all right. And um, uh, we went, John had a really cool Germany jersey. He got Klinsmann 14 on the back, right? Mm. Uh, Sean had a Holland jersey. Mm-hmm. He got, you know, Van Basten on the back or Hullet on the back. And I had a Brazil jersey. 1994, Romario was the most skillful, most amazing footballer in the in the world at the moment, at that time. Uh, 
played for Barcelona yeah. up front, scored loads of goals. Basically, the epitome of the cool footballer that everyone would love to be. I got Dunga 8 in the back of my <laughs> Brazil jersey. By right. choice. By choice. And they never let me forget it. Like I got The amount of abuse I've gotten, I've continued to get to, this was last mentioned to me like two weeks ago, the fact that I had a Brazil jersey during the 1994 World Cup and I had Dunga 8 on the back. Not even Bebeto. But hey Murph, you... You were looking for the glory, really. I mean, some say scoring all the goals gets you the glory. I think mm. the man who holds that trophy aloft is involved in a lot more, yeah, a lot more images of previous World Cups. Yeah, in later World Cups. not not really no. though. <laughs> when you think about a lot it, more of Romario's If you've goals ever seen shots of even Brazilians lifting the World Cup in 1994, it's actually not Dunga. It's always Romario <laughs> draped in a Brazil jersey. Okay. Um, also, you know, the first four letters of Dunga's name also probably lends itself to quite a lot of abuse being thrown in my direction, shall we say. Um, so, I mean, I, I, every time I hear the man's name, an involuntary shudder goes down my Well, you're going to be hearing a lot mind. of it today, Maverick. I can only apologise. Fernando Duarte is uh, not the man we're speaking to today, but we did speak to Fernando a few weeks back about his book, Shocking Brazil, which was all about six major defeats in that country's history. I'm sure he'll be adding a seventh if he wants to do another version mm. of his book before Christmas. But there's one rather telling passage in that about Dunga and his attitude towards management. Now, he had taken over. He had done quite well, in fairness. He won a Confederations Cup and he won a Cup uh, America at one stage as well. So not too shabby, but still picked a lot of fights with a lot of people and wasn't particularly popular, uh, certainly with the media and even with one or two of the players who he bombed out of there. But this is in relation to Neymar, who I've forgotten, even before 2010, was on the scene and was ripping it up as a very... Maybe he might have been 17, 18 at this stage over in... Uh, in Brazil, so he's already become a sensation. The squad came to Dublin to play a friendly that March, and there's a big clamour to include Neymar, the new golden boy in waiting. Dunga left him out, which is fair enough. A lot of managers would do the same thing, maybe a bit too young and a bit too inexperienced. But he very much rammed the point home. Then he said, and he told the journalists in the history of the Brazilian national team, he conceded the players that worked out the best were the ones that were tested over time. In Brazil, we're always saying that this or that player is special, but many never live, live up to expectations. If a new Pele comes through, you can be sure that I'll call him up. Which is practical, is somewhat dour, a little bit joyless, maybe fair enough. And I'm not saying he won't be picking Neymar this time around, but it just is indicative of the type of guy that they've gone for. If it's part of some joined up thinking there, that's, I can't believe I've used that phrase. But anyway, if it's part mm. of an overall plan that they have in place yet, it's fine. But you kind of get the sense with the Brazilian guys in charge of their FA that I don't know if it necessarily is. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I was going to chat about the Irish clubs in Europe this week. And John Delaney's new contract. Haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. He'll be the top man in the FAI until at least 2020, earning a salary of €360,000 a year in the process. Now, as has happened before, when Delaney's salary comes up in conversation, he says he has been getting offers of higher salaries elsewhere, but he is sticking with the FAI. Emmett Malone will be on on that one in just a minute. Of course, mid to late July, though, Murph is largely given over in football talk to transfer speculation. Mm. Is there much of that going about? Well, of course there is. Uh, Owen and uh, if Man United have their way there's going to be quite a bit of money spent <laughs> because they want they want us all to know all of us in the world of football and some of those without the world of uh, without the world of football um, to know that they've got lots and lots of money no seriously Owen they've got loads of money and they're not afraid to spend it because Ed Woodward has been speaking to uh, MUTV in an interview filmed on the club's pre-season tour of the United States and uh, he's he was asked about you know, whether they had any, any money to spend. There's no fixed budget. Financially, we are extremely strong. We have funds available. Um, so, <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't know if he's ever been in 
you know, a, a bazaar in Northern Africa or perhaps the Middle East. Um, but it's not a very good haggling technique to say, before we begin, yeah. Silk Seller, before we begin our discussions, and I, you don't even know what I want yet, but I want you to know that I've got a lot of discretionary expenditure here. I've got a lot of money to spend. And to be honest, I don't really care who it's on, what it's on. I've just got money to spend. It's burning a hole in my pocket here. So hopefully you can facilitate me in relieving me of large amounts of cash here today. So let's start our haggling. How, how, do, how, how, how do we even do this? You name a price. One of us goes high, one goes I, low. Yeah, I, I, I go know. up by 10%. Then you come back to me with a slightly less offer. Ed, I have a feeling you might have said something similar last year. Certainly he didn't do very well in the transfer market last year. and no. got a lot of stick for that. I don't, I don't know how happy David Moyes was, but... I mean, there. I mean, it's Manchester United. I mean, everyone knows that they've signed all of these deals yeah. and they do have money. There's no There's real need to go around telling people, just in case you missed all of those emails we sent out about, you know, South American uh, toilet cleaner sponsors of Manchester United, official partners. We don't need this. We don't need any further uh, 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 validation of Man United's financial strength. Emmett Malone is in studio, having been over at the World Cup with the Irish Times. Emmett, welcome back. Thanks, Owen. Uh, if you were Gerard Houllier or one of these men on the FIFA Technical Committee, <laughs> um, okay. think about that for yourself. You're Gerard Houllier. Is there, are there any trends from the World Cup that you that particularly struck you, or are there any long-term impacts? Because I know they like doing these reports afterwards. Yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. Tell everyone essentially what they've just seen and what it means for the future. Yeah, I think there is that, that kind of interesting balance to be taken from it, from the kind of uh, the, the leniency of the referees, which I think we, 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 we did see, you know, that they had been encouraged to kind of let play f- f- flow a bit more. There were less bookings, less sendings off at this World Cup than there had been at, at, at any of the recent ones. Uh, certainly compared to Germany, it was an incredible decline. And, um, and the resulting, you know, the number of goals that we got, the amount of attacking play, I, I, it's a funny thing, like, and it's something that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on, but on the one hand, the the freer reign that was uh, allowed to defenders should have sort of meant that mm-hmm. they uh, that they were kind of like uh, taking out uh, attackers, preventing scoring chances, and yet the result of it was you know that the ball stayed in play more uh, during games and uh, and a lot more goals were scored. Was so that I think that's going to be positive. Yeah, was that referring leniency? Do you think a tournament specific phenomenon, or is are we going to see it ultimately regressing back to? Roughly nineteen ninety kind of levels of. I think that's going. I, I think that's going to be interesting to see. I, I think in 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 the past, what we have seen is that these tournaments do set a sort of agenda for the coming years, and um, you know, there's a mixture of reasons for that. I mean, we saw the the success of the Greek team uh, in two thousand and four, uh, and and the way you know a lot of Trapatonis all over Europe thought, well, if the Greeks can do it, so can we, and um, uh, and and it had a negative impact on the style of play that was played. Uh, at, at this World Cup, we had the Costa Rica manager coming out and saying that they they they'd seen Spain play. And uh, and came away from it with a dream, you know, and uh, and those sort of things are nice. It's nice that, that that you know that that we have quality teams playing a good attacking football, inspiring uh, lesser teams to try and to, to try and do something like that. In, in terms of what what the impact of this uh, tournament is uh, uh, longer term, I, I think that remains to be seen. For some extent, to some extent, but but I think what's happened in the past is that these tournaments do dictate the the, the trend in the game over the the coming uh, over the following years. I think the fact that the tournament has been judged widely to be a success, despite the fact that it's its best two weeks were probably its first two weeks, uh, but that set the sort of tone of people's perception, and um, and and I think we will see that 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 is reflected now in into the Champions League and and the higher end of the club game. But you know, there's probably an element of this being steered at kind of winning over those. 
you know, kind of unconquered markets. We've, we've certainly seen this World Cup um, make further inroads into the States. Uh, that's something that's been going, coming down the line for some time. I mean, you know, in, in, in South Africa, uh, ESPN really, really kind of did that tournament in, in a very, very serious way. They really did, uh, kind of upped, upped their game uh, because I think they sensed that, that America was, was, you know, on the verge of being cracked. And, and we've seen, you know, that move along to another to another stage here. So in, in all sorts of ways, I think it was a positive tournament for the World Cup, for, yeah. for the game. ESPN have managed to lose the rights for the next yeah, World true. Cup yeah, to Fox yeah, Sports. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 and and I think there. that may be something that that, uh, that FIFA comes to, 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 to regret because I think ESPN have really done a good job on the game over there. Now, you're back in the middle of an interesting campaign for the Irish teams in Europe. St. Pat's drew away to Legia Warsaw last week. Yeah. Uh, and the goal they scored was absolutely a stunning team goal. Yeah. Uh, the second leg is this week. Are they well set up? Well, I mean, they're in a good position. Uh, I mean, conceding the equaliser was was a blow. Uh, it makes a big difference uh, whether they're playing for a draw here or or or, or still needing to get you know uh, uh, something out of the game. Um, but I think they'll take a lot of confidence out of the performance there, as much as the result. Uh, as you say, it was a great goal. Um, I think you know if you go back to this, the re-signing of Keith Fahey, um, this is the sort of uh, situation that that people really felt that he would make a difference in the kind of composure that he brings to the centre of the team. Um, and um, you know Liam Buckley going back historically has had some rough days in Europe uh, I think they'll all feel that they have a, a, you know still a fair bit to do but a huge incentive here even before you get to the fact that it, it would most likely be Celtic in the next round so yeah. it's, it's, it's all good stuff and Warsaw Ligia Warsaw uh, we're talking 50 million budget seven international yeah. players they're, they're serious enough outfit the same Pat's very nearly beat away from home no absolutely and and we've had this down the years where there's been a lot of kind of nearlies with with, with uh, Irish teams now oh, the last few seasons have been quite difficult for them you know we were coming off a high in the boom here where players were playing full time and you know that combined with the summer football yielded some very good results a really a steady but quite significant climb in the rankings that yielded uh, uh, seedings in tournament it was you know all on an upward spiral and we'd possibly hit a ceiling there like where you were looking at kind of some you know some serious improvement needed to make another jump but instead we actually started sliding because the end of the boom and you know things started falling apart financially at clubs and we've seen that steady now hopefully this is a sort of revival but in terms of a club like Legia Warsaw they have a huge amount at stake here as you say they have a very big budget uh, huge uh, in comparison to the Irish club they're certainly not out of it by, by any stretch of the imagination but they do need here they do need to come here and do something, you know, which I don't mm. think uh, uh, they would have anticipated after the first leg. You mentioned it could be Celtic next up yeah. if St. Pat's were to, to get through this one. And I mean, that alone, qualifying for a Champions League is virtually impossible, I would say. But yeah. uh, this is almost as good as if you get a home and away fixture against Celtic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be big money. Uh, it'd be big money for them. It'd be a kind of a lot of a, a, a very attractive tie. It'd be a great experience for the players. I mean, I, 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 I'm long enough covering the League of Ireland that I well remember in the early 90s and mid-90s where... Um, a variety of managers who just looked on 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 European ties as a bino, you know, a kind of reward for the for the players who had uh, had won a league or won a cup the previous year, and this was you know a weekend away. And uh, some of the managers didn't take the the whole thing terribly seriously, and and there were some poor results. Other managers did, and and there were still some poor results. I mean, it was there were limitations there, and and the old winter season um, meant that they were coming back in in some cases with, with virtually no training under their belt going into European games. An awful lot has changed here. An awful lot has improved. And and I think, you know, for most of the clubs, they see uh, Europe as a measure of how much progress they're making in an all-round sense and their ability to stage these games, their ability to com- 
compete in them. And there's been some there's been some great results. Obviously, the Shamrock Rovers run a couple of seasons ago, um, but but some you know great individual uh, credible performances. Last week in in in, in Warsaw was certainly one of those. Um, but you know, uh, there's a there's it's it's another thing to deliver on that to to you know to set yourself up is one yeah. thing but uh, these clubs they have uh, in many cases very very good experience in, in many international players they tend to have the ability to dig themselves out of a hole and uh, what Pats need to do now is deliver and, and that's not going to be an easy task. Sligo Rovers have to deliver as well against yeah. Rosenberg but yeah, they yeah. set themselves up and that game is on Thursday is it uh, at the showgrounds is it a little bit too early then seeing as we're essentially half time in these ties yeah. to. Because I was interested that you said that there was the dip and now it looks as though maybe the clubs are consolidating. Is it is it too early to maybe follow up on that for the time being? Do we have to wait and see? If the, I, I do think we have through? to wait and see because we've seen promising pl- uh, positions squandered in, in on lots of occasions. But, I mean, the Sligar Rovers winning away, uh, to win away in Europe is a terrific performance. You, to even to aspire to winning away mm. in Europe, you know, because there is this thing that you go away and you don't concede, <laughs> you know, and you hear the, the various formulas and, you know, the number of times I've stood in a dressing room or, you know, afterwards or in a press, sat in a press conference and heard a... a um, uh, a League of Ireland manager putting a kind of positive spin on whatever they've just done. A professional it, you know, job, yeah, a one nil defeat. It's, always, it's yeah, not just yeah. League of Ireland managers. Yeah. In fairness, it's well, yeah, top, no, it's true. Team. It's true, yeah. But I mean, like even after home legs here, right. where you, you know first legs at home, and you'd be talking to a manager afterwards, going, "Well, you know, I think you know in Europe, as long as you don't concede at home in the first leg, <laughs> you're okay." And you're kind of thinking, "Well, I don't think that's quite true." Um, but um, but yeah, to go away and, and and beat a team like Rosenberg, and I've, I I was away at Rosenberg with with Bohemians, I think it was. Um, quite a few years ago and they were quite an outfit now I mean the the, the years in between they're not quite what they were then they've, they've sacked their manager I think this morning you know as a result of, uh, of this so um, they're in a bit of a flux at the moment they're coming here it's it's I, it, it's difficult for them and to, to, to need to win away for them now uh, puts a lot of pressure on them so Sligo certainly in a good position we'll, we'll see again for them I mean the the the, the, the um, Carabas um, Spore uh, wouldn't be the most attractive uh, most glamorous uh, opponents in the next round if they get through but Turkish TV generally brings money, and uh, right. it would be a, it would be a, 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 a rewarding tie for them. So this is all it's all good stuff. Yeah, I always prefer in those situations where a manager is hanging on. I, I nearly prefer them just to hang on for the second leg because when yeah, they're gone, maybe I, the players I, I, get their new lease of life. I, absolutely, I would agree. I, I was surprised by by a decision to, to to jump ship. And the big news is that John Delaney has his new deal in the bag as it is anyway. Five more years. As yeah, CEO. five more years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, do you make of of that? And uh, he took the couple of pay cuts, but it seems to that seems. To bottomed out now at three hundred and sixty thousand euro. A yeah, year. I think it's remarkable, really. Uh, I, I know that Delaney, uh, uh, that John uh, thinks he's worth this money. Uh, he's said so often enough. He, he he has told me, and I can't remember whether it was on a on a one to one level or in a group situation that he delivers for the for the association. Um, uh, he talks uh, about the fact that the um, the the you know there are a lot of good times around the corner in terms of um, the UEFA pay deal, but it, it's an interesting one. I mean the the last over the last few years, we've had a situation where Delaney he's been, he's there since what two thousand and four now I think, um, and uh, in most most recent years, you know the the FAI's fortunes have been very closely tied to the Aviva Stadium and the borrowings that they that they, they, they uh, took out uh, to finance their share of the rebuilding. And you know we've had uh, we've had various uh, we've had various kind of commitments, uh, and most recently the one that they they have been sticking to until very recently that that, that the association would repay all its debt by twenty twenty. Now, in the last six months or so, and particularly since they've um, they've secured a write down on their debts, uh, the, the suggestion is now that they would, you know, willingly, voluntarily, you know, 
uh, off their own bat extend that repayment uh, schedule beyond mm. 2020. But but I, I think there's been huge scepticism amongst anybody with financial expertise, outside financial expertise, about the about the kind of scale of ambition that was involved in repaying their debts by 2020. Um, the, 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 the debt is enormous. Um, I think that the general feeling would be that they've they've secured a write down of 11 million euro on on the debt. And that's terrific. I mean, it's 11 million euro less that would be, that would be going out of football. But I I think you know, uh, as most of us would would view these situations in terms of uh, you know um, a mortgage provider of any description giving a write down on debt, they don't tend to do it unless they find uh, unless they feel that the original um, the original scale of payments was. Uh, you know, to be polite about it, ambitious for the borrower. So um, I think that's the reality of, of, of the situation. Yeah. The mortgage provider in this case have, have made a call on, on what they feel was achievable for the FAI. Delaney talks about turnover. He says that in 1996, <laughs> you go back then, FAI turnover was about 7 million. Last year it was 36 million. Next yeah. year it'll be close to 40 million. We've really driven the association forward as a business. Sure. So he's focusing on, on that element of it. Yeah. Uh, but you would place the focus elsewhere, judging by well, how you're I, look. There is absolutely no doubt here that the uh, the the uh, uh, turnover of the FAI has I- I increased hugely. I think there are a number of factors for that, and many of them lie outside uh, John Delaney's sphere of influence. Um, I mean, you know, they went to Euro 2012, and uh, they were paid eight million euro for their participation. So that alone is a higher figure than what they were turning over in in their, their entirety in, in 1996. That's the figure they quote. Uh, a lot of that uh, program was driven uh, before Delaney's uh, time as CEO. Uh, much of it, I'd say, is to do with hugely inflated uh, television revenues, sponsorship revenues, which have flowed into the game at all levels. And if you see, you know, if you compare any of the association, like football is a giant growth industry. And when we talk to Delaney on, on the rare occasions that uh, that he talks to us and takes any sort of serious questions on on uh, on the FEI's finances and, you know, the trends within the game, what he tends to throw at us is that the, um, uh, you know, in, in recent years, the FEI have been laying off a lot of people. They've been cutting their budget and cutting their staff levels, which is fine, absolutely. I mean, it's completely understandable. They're, they're going through some tough times. The end of the boom period here has, 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 has left them with some difficulties, particularly on the attendance front at, uh, at Lansdowne Road. But what he would throw at us is that we're all working for newspapers who are making cuts or whatever. The difference is that newspapers are a struggling industry, some would say a dying industry. Uh, football is an enormous growth industry and at Champions League level, at Premier League level, at almost every kind of top level across Europe, uh, revenues are soaring. Uh, what, what we've seen over the last couple of years in the FEI, I mean, the year before last, they turned over uh, 45 million euro. Last year, without the uh, combination of the 8 million they received from um, Euro 2012 participation and the hat-trick payments, which are boosted by a, a, a factor of three or four, I think, every fourth year because UEFA has all the additional revenue from um, the European Championships. Uh, without that money, they would have gone from 45 million to about 29 million. That's a colossal drop for an organization of, of, of that of that level now they have recovered to some extent this time um, you would speak with more confidence about the, the revenues and John's claims about the revenues if they were more transparent about them. But some years ago, they cut back quite significantly on the amount of uh, information they publish in, 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 the, uh, 
in the accounts. They they said, uh, with some justification, I guess, that they were providing people with a stick to beat them with. Um, but they now provide very little uh, more, I think, than than they're legally required to. Um, when they're pushed on on the detail, they tend not to be terribly forthcoming. Um, Tony Dignam, the financial uh, chief, the financial officer, or whatever he's called, uh, head of finance, uh, last year uh, acknowledged that some money had been paid up front in advance by um, UEFA. Um, but there's no sense of how much that was. So again, like we're, we, you know, it's very difficult to judge exactly where they stand at a, at a particular moment in time. And the FAI, naturally enough, tend to tend to put their best foot forward. They tend to look on the bright side. But it's it, it they make it very hard for people to make informed uh, calls on that. What we do have a situation now is that they're talking about them getting 10 million. Uh, a year from UEFA as part of their new television centralised uh, televised rights deal from UEFA. That's good money. Um, w- one of the main advantages of it is is it's it's, it's bankable in advance. People, they, there's certainty attached to it. They know exactly how much they're going to get. Um, but you know they get Germany again in the European Championships uh, or it's in yeah in the European Championship qualifying now. Mm. Germany previously that one game would have been worth somewhere between five and ten million to the FAI as a combination of television rights. I think they got, I think they've made ten million out of the two thousand and seven game, closer to six out of the the, the more the six one the more recent uh, game under Trapattoni. Um, so you know th- those sort of figures. No account really has been taken of those. No account has been taken of how much money they've lost in um, uh, rights revenues from RT, uh, how much they make from individual other games sold on a, on, a, on a game-by-game basis. Until they provide those sort of figures, it's very difficult to just take... Um, uh, at, at you know, take readily what what the FAI throws out as, well, as yeah, the benefits of where they are. It used to be that if Germany arrived in the draw, particularly or a team along those lines, this was great news for the yeah. FAI. That was almost always alluded to, but now it's essentially irrelevant, is it? That you get Germany, you can get whoever you, with regards to TV rights. It's just centralized. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure there are other commercial revenues attached to it, and from the FAI's point of view, it, it's important from the point of view of, of ticket sales. Ticket sales, ticket course, sales yeah. are huge at this stage because I mean, I, I, it's another of the promises that John Delaney made before they moved into the the, ref, the refurbished Lansdowne Road or Aviva Stadium as is um, that there would no, be no general t- general sale tickets g- uh, available for games at Lansdowne Road well instead we see literally tens of thousands of empty seats uh, for friendly games and, and many empty seats even the Germany the 6-1 which is the biggest uh, most high profile game we've played uh, in the stadium since it was redeveloped I mean I'm not sure whether it was technically sold out if it was it wasn't by much but it certainly wasn't difficult to get tickets for you know if you, if you put your mind to it, you could have been inside the ground without too much difficulty. Uh, so from that point of view, the FAI have had to get into selling their tickets in bundles and season tickets. They're, they're, they're very good value. I, I mean, I have to say, I think they're, they're, you know, they've gone from a stage where, in my own personal experience, I used to buy tickets at the last minute for the Crow Park games. And because all that would be available would be um, uh, corporate level seats, if, uh, three tickets for my family would cost €240. Euro. Well, I, I mean, I could nearly send them to, to all, of, all, all of Ireland's games for a season now for that sort of money um, it's, it's very heavily discounted it's very good value but they can't sell them I, 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 as, as far as I'm aware they had about 7,000 for uh, sold for last season um, this is really at hugely discounted levels um, I, I at this stage can't see what more they can do um, but but certainly having an England game there next year having you know a German game to come the year after these are these help these really the help high profile managerial team as well yeah but we haven't seem to have really had that seen much the, yeah we haven't really seen them in the boost I think that that, that they would have hoped uh, you know clearly they played some good football against uh, Italy in London and, and hopefully that will you know trickle down 
the two the two lads have had a, a kind of I think there's been a, a kind of positive um, uh, improvement in perception of the team or whatever. But it, it hasn't really shifted huge numbers of seats in the way that I think they must have hoped. All right. They did it. Well, we'll keep an eye out for the AGM anyway to see if any news does emerge from it. Emma, thank you. Great stuff. It's good. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no, 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 obviously none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean um, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, no no and we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. We have already got a show out there for you today. A non-football show. In fact, it's largely golf. Mate. It's a lot of Rory McIlroy talk. We had Niall Quinn on. Niall Quinn had a, quite a few interesting things to say about McIlroy. He kept a, quite a close eye on on Rory as a young player for reasons which he'll explain to you if you have a listen to that. But he made the point that he feels, he very much focused on the mental side of Rory McIlroy's game, even from quite a young age, that he said a lot of people would have had similar talent, which I I think many of us would have assumed differently. But uh, Niall Quinn's take on it was that, look, what he had was the application, he had the ability to put everything else around his game that you have to do. And he's been doing that for a long time and now he's getting the fruits of that. We also... Spoke to Shane Kern and Ushie McConville. If you're uh, not from Dublin, you will be... Well, uh, let's just say that Shane Kern painted a rather appalling vista mm. of what GA will be like over the next 10 years. Dublin winning non-stop, mowing down anyone in their way. Ushin is clinging to the hope that there are teams out there who can beat Dublin. Even this year, forget about it. He said it's... It's down to the 15 to 20, 23 players on the field. Yeah, and I think... Um, you. I mean, I, I think Dublin are probably going to be... are probably good enough to... Uh, win quite a few All-Irelands over the next couple of years but it's never as bad as people suggest it's the end of the game just because one team happens to be a good bit better than, like these things pass and uh, yeah Oshin is actually convinced that there is a team out there whether that's Donegal Mayo perhaps even Monaghan in the All-Ireland quarterfinal who knows um, there is still hope there yeah. for us uh, that the uh, <laughs> I mean it, it, you know it's, it, it's not the way still no, in the championship I, Murph no I, I think we're probably not quite there yet Owen not quite a, there. A draw against Tip this weekend, and you guys stay in there for. Oh, I'll stop. I'll stop talking. I'll stop patronising <laughs> now. Uh, right, you have a listen to that and all the you whatever way you're listening to this show, but you can check it out on SoundCloud and iTunes, IrishTimes.com forward slash Second Captains. You can also uh, use the Android app there, maybe if or use the uh, Podcast Republic app if you're on Android. The next manager of the Brazilian national team has a few pieces he'll have to pick up after what happened over the last few weeks. He'll be announced tomorrow. And James Young is based over in Brazil. He's been reporting this story for ESPN. The perception, certainly outside Brazil, James, is that there would have to be a absolute root and branch restructuring of everything to do with Brazilian football, uh, maybe a change in philosophy and mindset, and certainly a bright new manager who might be able to kick things off a little bit. But it looks like the new guy will be an old familiar face. Well, this is it. Uh, I think uh, an important distinction to make is the perception or, or the, the way that the CBF, the Brazilian Football Association, views the world is not always how the, uh, how the rest of the world thinks. Um, yeah, it looks like it's Dunga. It's going to be officially confirmed 
tomorrow. He's going to be presented tomorrow to, to the media, but uh, it, to all intents and purposes, yeah, it, uh, Dunga's been confirmed as, as as coming back to the to the Brazilian national team, which is a, I think, a, a remarkable surprise, like you say, for most people outside Brazil and, and for, for most people in Brazil as well. The, uh, the, the process kind of started last week when they, they appointed a new a new technical director, Gilmar Hinaldi. Before that, like you say, people had been thinking that uh, there would be a major restructuring, that major change was needed. The first thing that Gilmar Rinaldi said, uh, he's, he's a former football agent, hasn't got a lot of experience in this kind of this kind of job. The first thing he said was uh, there won't be a foreign coach. So that, that kind of uh, took a lot of impetus away from the, from the thought that there might be some major change. Uh, and then that left left a fairly fairly limited field of of, of options, and uh, and and the the winner of the sort of three or four three or four uh, horse race, none of which were exactly uh, red rum, was uh, was Dunga. <laughs> right. So uh, Brazil has been maybe a little bit um, remiss in creating good managers, similar to their centre forward situation. This is it. I mean, this is this is uh, this is probably the greatest problem. Um, there's such a culture here uh, of impatience of hiring coaches and firing coaches. Uh, to give you an example, there's a coach at Flamengo, Ney Franco. He uh, he had success about ten years ago in his first job with a, with a small team. Got the job at uh, at Flamengo. I think he was in his late thirties then. Was seen as a great up and coming coach. He lasted Flamengo for for I think about a year, something like that. Uh, got sacked. Since then, he's at about nine or ten other other teams, and he's 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 recently been back at Flamengo. He was appointed in May, and it looks like today, after they lost four 0 yesterday, he's going to be he's going to be sacked again. So that's the kind of culture that that, that young coaches in Brazil can look forward to. They can look forward to uh, racking up kind of uh, ten or fifteen coaching positions in 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 ten years, which obviously has massive repercussions for what you can do in terms of tactics and player development. Um, I was just reading today, I, I can't remember the journalist who said, I think it was Andre Kufori, a, a journalist here, who said that Brazilian coaches, they're, they're, they're not coaches. They, uh, they, uh, they prepare for games. They don't train teams. They prepare for games. So as a result, the, 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 the landscape is kind of dominated by, five, by four or five, not exactly dinosaurs, but, but let's say established figures, big dogs of the Brazilian coaching game. And, uh, and then as, as sort of young coaches just, just move from team to team and, and, uh, generally get fried, get their confidence shot before they can establish themselves. So Dunga is the big dog who survives this one and uh, we certainly, that the, as I say, the indications are that he's going to be the man. I would say not exactly a feel-good appointment. I think Dunga's previous stint in charge, uh, there was some success, but the World Cup ended badly and it seemed to be pockmarked by arguments with players, with journalists and just a general surly kind of Dunga-like demeanour. Exactly. I, mean, I think we all saw during the, this uh, this World Cup that the, the pressure was fairly intense on, on uh, Luis Felipe Scolari and, and the team. And there were moments when Scolari uh, looked a little bit paranoid. There was lots of talk about, about refereeing conspiracies and, and, and so on and uh, a few t- minor tantrums with the press. But that, that nothing compared to what, uh, what, what it was like with Dunga in 2010 when he really, uh, really adopted a kind of siege mentality. Uh, there was a famous incident with a, with a journalist who uh, the journalist was talking on his his cell phone in, in the press conference. Dunga seemed to think that he was having some some conversation with the the, the CIA or, or or the media or, or or some kind of some kind of a some kind of threat. Uh, anyway, um, lost his temper, lost his ride completely. Started uh, accusing the, the the journalist of of, of, of inappropriate behaviour, something like that. 
uh, and then continued for about five or six minutes to mutter under his breath, mutter expletives under his breath. Uh, unfortunately, these expletives were picked up by the by the the the, the uh, sound system in the in the press area, so so everyone heard them. So he's he did not not he wasn't he couldn't deal with the pressure in 2010. He's a little bit older now. I, I don't know if anything's changed or not. He didn't his last coaching job at Internacional in in, in Brazil didn't go particularly well. Uh, the, the relationship with the press is 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 important in Brazil. So so hopefully something's changed because if it's like last time, it's. It, it, it's it's going to be a, a stressful ride for, for Dunga. What was his issue with the press and with TV people? Was it just the characterization of him as being representative of the more workmanlike Brazil? Because that's that's what he is in everybody's mind, both as a player and subsequently as a manager. Yeah, I think it was that. I think it was just the, the, the overall level of criticism. The, the fact he was, he was, he was, he didn't like the fact that there was so much press. In 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 the training games at uh, in the in the training camp, that the media were everywhere. That they were they were taking taking pictures and their their cameras in his face every five seconds. He seemed to think that was um, that was uh, overly intrusive, which, which is surprising because you think he would he would have been used to it. But yeah, just the level of criticism in general, and I think he, even in even in 1994 when they won the the the, the uh, the, uh, the world the world championship after after a gap of twenty four years when he was captain and the team was clearly lauded for winning that there was, there was a lot of criticism and Dunga has has always had this uh, this great being his bonnet about uh, nineteen eighty two and then they, they for, for I think he's on record saying they were uh, champions of losing or, or words to that effect yeah. uh, so he's not a great fan of the the old myth of, of playing pre- playing playing pretty pretty football but losing he's more the the, the pragmatist. So I think he sees it like, like you say he's uh, he's he's not given the respect that he's due because of that he's not seen as as fitting in with the the uh, the, the, the 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 clique or the club of, of 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 beautiful entertainers. You said James at the CBF that Ronaldo, this director of football, ruled out pretty early on the process a foreign manager. Do you reckon that Brazilian supporters would have been okay with that if they'd gone that way? Would they have been ready for somebody um, from outside of Brazil? I think it's it's, it's tricky. Um, there's there's a danger, I think, for 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 anyone, for all of us who work in the, in the media, of thinking that the media journalist conversations and journalist circles are kind of where 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 um, kind of reflective of, of of what goes on in the streets, and they're not always. I mean, if you read the Brazilian, uh, the intelligent Brazilian sporting sporting press, they were all crying for a foreign foreign coach, uh, simply well, generally because the, because the, the the domestic candidates are so limited. Um, but then, if if you if you talk to people in the street, uh, people who are who are you know focused on their clubs, who who a lot of Brazilians see the the, the players who play in Europe, who play Champions League football, uh, which is basically most of the team, they see an element of um, rightly or wrongly, they see an element of, of betrayal there that these players don't care about Brazil, that these players have um, have abandoned their 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 country and so on just to, to to make money in in Europe. I mean, it's it's, it's clearly nonsense, but but that's uh, that's kind of a, a reasonably commonly held opinion amongst your your, your average Brazilian uh, football fan. Uh, just to give you an idea, idea after the uh, to the seven one the, the game against Germany, I was in a snack bar in Rio and talking to the to the to the guy behind the counter, and I suggested that maybe Brazil would would be would do well to to to, to look at a foreign coach to bring in some new ideas and so on. Uh, he was furious at the at the idea. We we had betrayal, we had sacrilege. He wanted Morici Hamalho. Who's a, a kind of arch pragmatist of, of Brazilian club football, incredibly dour and uh, and, uh, and 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 dedicated to the to, to winning at all costs. 
So there is this idea that that we don't need foreign influence. That we that 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 uh, what can they teach us? We've won five world championships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A little bit of a mistrust of the uh, the outside world in some ways, which which reflects Brazilian society on a whole in some ways. It, it can be an insular an insular place in in, in many ways. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fascinating. So it just sounds like overall, um, whatever about the manager and Dunga being, how important is the manager? You said there that you know he, he really just prepares a team, doesn't necessarily coach it in Brazil. It, it is as a figurehead, is it actually important who gets the nod tomorrow, or are there more pressing concerns which won't actually doesn't sound like they're going to be addressed necessarily in terms of trying to deal with the outflow, the export of footballers, all those things underlying the problems at the moment. Well, well, that's that's exactly right. I think clearly, clearly, the manager is is important. He sets the tone. He sends the message. He's he's the face of 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 what kind of football is going to be played. What kind of what kind of what kind of Brazil you're going to see in the future. But the problem clearly goes much much deeper. It it it's it's, it's through the, the coaching culture that we talked about early earlier. It's the situation with the clubs who are all all basically bankrupt. If if you applied. Your, uh, the, the, the Rangers case, that's the, the, the same law that you have in, in, in the UK that, that was applied to Rangers, to Brazilian football clubs, then they would all be put out of business because they all have massive, massive debts, including massive, massive public debts, massive, massive tax debts, which they show kind of no inclination of, 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 of paying. Uh, the the youth teams aren't doing particularly well. I think the under 20s didn't didn't qualify for the last, I need to check, that didn't qualify for the last uh, world, world uh, Youth World Cup. Um, the, the, the attendances are, 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 are appalling. The average attendance at a football game in Brazil is 14,000. Violence is still an issue. The teams, because of this cult coaching culture we talked about, the teams play, they don't play attractive football. There's, there's maybe one or two teams in the, in the Brazilian championship at the moment that are playing uh, attractive passing football. Uh, it, it, the problem goes very deep and it, it needs to be addressed on, on, on every level. At, le- at least the conversation is happening now, though, even, even though they seem to have missed this opportunity for some kind of change, at least... At least people are, are are kind of waking up and saying, "Well, look, the the, the jogo bonito, the, the beautiful football, was was a long time ago." I mean, that that's almost a almost a, a sort of a remnant from history now. It's 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 so long ago. I think you could argue that, that there aren't very many teams in the world who are less jogo bonito these days than. Uh, than Brazil. I don't know if it's going to um, return with, with with Dunga either. Listen, James, we leave it there. Great to talk to you, James Young. Thank you. Cheers. Just to back up some of what James is saying there in terms of how the, we touched on it a little bit, but how the association is is run there, the CBF. It's an 82-year-old man called Jose Maria Maran who's in charge at the moment. Now, he's most famous, according to James's piece, for <laughs> a camera caught him on TV at a youth tournament giving out the medals, right? Mm-hmm. The camera catches him. Mm, let's just say not giving the medal to the correct person or taking the medal for himself, taking a medal <laughs> yeah. for himself. Uh, he claims that this is no this is no big deal. It was totally transparent. I was given this medal. Forget mm. about it, not a big deal. One of the players on one of the teams didn't feel quite so good about it because he walked off with no medal. So this is <laughs> a small snippet into the mindset of some of the guys in charge. His sidekick, a sidekick I should say, and this is the guy who's taking over as president now, president-elect, Marco Polo del Nero. He said that but first of all, he, I think he was a guy who indicated that Scolari may stay on. I don't know if you remember that story. He buzzed mm. around for a few hours a few days ago. But as he ultimately accepted that the guy had to leave, he thanked him. Thanks, Scolari, for having made the Brazilian people fall in love with the national team again. <laughs> it sounded like they were pretty much... It sounded like, well, some marriages that I've uh, come across <laughs> in the final moments of that Brazil-Germany game. There's no doubt about that, Owen. Um, but I, I think that man maybe has slight, a slightly world-weary view of love. 
Mm. You know, there's there's more out there is what I'm saying to that gentleman than Big Phil Scolari there's Dunga you can fall in love with mm. Dunga now, yeah uh, why content. Stephen Jarrett just mentioned before we go that news is broken this afternoon that he uh, another bit of a fallout from the World Cup I suppose if you're really uh, clinging for a link to the World Cup there's no need to do that he's retired from international football he said the decision was something he thought about long before this particular tournament probably disappointing for Jared to end, he made that. I don't know how bad a mistake it was to allow Luis Suarez in for that winner when he tried to head it clear. Mm. Also lost a tackle in midfield for I think it was a Balotelli goal against Italy. Not an amazing World Cup for Stephen Jared, who was decent enough, I thought, in the last World, World Cup. But just yeah, and I think you know he was captain of the team. Is also there's an element of carrying the can for yeah. England's general performance, quite apart from his own personal performance, which wasn't, as you say, amazing either. He's finished now, though, so uh, good luck to him in his international retirement. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. Do have a listen out there for our Rory McIlroy show, which has plenty of GA in it as well, plenty of reaction from Shane Kern and from Mushy McConville, who are both in studio, to the couple of games at the weekend. And as I mentioned, Niall Quinn and others talking about Rory's amazing triumph. Cheers for listening. We'll chat to you again soon. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.